I'm Craig Lawless. I'm Kevin Garcia-King. And this is Sounds Like Infrastructure. Here's a question you've probably asked yourself. Is it possible to have a road where there's little to no congestion? A road where cars don't get stuck in traffic? Well, in 2008, the city of Dallas asked themselves that same question because they were about to build a new stretch of highway that would aim to solve this problem. The most common solution to solve congestion problems is to add more lanes. But often when you add more lanes, they just fill up with cars too, and then you're back to square one. If this road was going to be a success, it needed to offer a genuine alternative to the general highway it was being built beside. Basically, it needed to be faster and free of congestion, because the general highway right beside it would remain free to use, and drivers would be paying to use this new road. The city knew the challenges would be huge, so they got Ferrovial and Sintra on board to help figure out the system. The team sat down, they brainstormed, looked at all the options, and then settled on one. And the one they settled on is an idea you've probably seen before. The airline industry has used it, hotels, rental cars. To be able to better manage congestion on the new asset, the team had to completely reimagine how and why we use roads. Their innovation? To dynamically price the road. In this episode, we're looking at where dynamic pricing came from and why it's cropping up in so many areas of the economy. We look at how one decision in the airline industry set the whole dynamic pricing ball in motion, what dynamic pricing on a highway actually looks like, and we stop off in the world of the Quakers because one price for everything, you know, the price tag, that idea is not as old as you might think it is. If you ever use your phone to order a taxi via ride-sharing app, then you've probably seen a form of dynamic pricing in action. And the concept is relatively simple. When you log onto the app, you want a car to come pick you up. But there's only a limited number of cars out there. You see a price, and you decide if you want to pay it or not. If you log onto the app, let's say, 10 minutes later, the price may have gone up because more people want a car. It's the law of supply and demand in action again. For people who are used to just walking into a store, seeing a price, and then paying that price, this can seem a little weird. But actually... Dynamic pricing is really nothing new. That's Dean Boyd. I'm a long-term practitioner of dynamic pricing and revenue management. Dean has been working with dynamic pricing since the 70s. And according to him, this way of pricing things, essentially having no fixed price, It's actually how we used to always price things. Dynamic pricing goes back to when humans first got into selling things at the markets or the souks or the bazaars. I mean, people then were doing dynamic pricing in their heads. You know, they're balancing, well, what have I got? What does this customer look like? What is her, his or her ability to pay? Going through all of this stuff in their mind. And they say, well, you can have this, you know, particular sack of tomatoes for X. And that that goes back again, as far as commerce. Back then, everyone paid what they thought was reasonable. It's a dynamic price because it's not fixed. If you walked into a store and had all day to haggle, you could get the shopkeeper to lower the price. If someone walks in behind you and has somewhere to be by noon, they have no time to haggle, and so they'll pay more for that sack of tomatoes. That's what dynamic pricing is about. But... This all changed in the 1800s when one religious group, the Quakers, decided to introduce a new system in their stores. Instead of haggling with the shopkeeper, the system in place established that it would simply be one item, one price for everyone. 
The Quaker pricing system came from a moral standpoint, but around the same time, businesses were getting bigger and training in new staff was becoming more expensive. If you were working in a store in the 1800s, there were all these variables you needed to know to perform a haggle. Things like minimum price, when to stand your ground, and it took time to learn all that. So, in the 1870s, a group of entrepreneurs decided to take the Quaker idea and add one little improvement. A small piece of paper that would state the price. Yeah, the price tag. These entrepreneurs saw the price tag as an opportunity. Now they didn't need to train clerks how to haggle. They could grow their businesses and focus on what they really wanted, making really big stores. Two of these entrepreneurs were Roland Hussey Macy and John Wanamaker. Macy himself was a Quaker and went on to create, well, Macy's. Wanamaker wasn't, but he was setting up his store in Philadelphia, a Quaker heartland. So like Macy, he stocked price tags on everything in his store too. Other store owners saw the price tag system and thought, hey, we could do this too. And so the idea began to take hold across the US. The price tag was good for business, and it stayed that way for almost 100 years. That was until the US government made a decision to deregulate the airline industry. And it was this decision that would begin the journey towards the dynamic pricing we see today. Dean Boyd was there. In the United States in the late 70s, 1978, I think, Congress passed a fundamental new law that affecting the airlines, where they went from basically a utility, where they could charge prices on a, basically a cost plus basis, to a competitive basis. Up until that point, the U.S. government had been setting all prices for airlines. Cost plus meant that the price the government set guaranteed the airlines would turn a profit. After deregulation, airlines were thrown into this new world of competitive pricing. And so suddenly, you know, the rules of the game had to change if the airlines were to survive. And so, while the airlines were scrambling to figure out these new rules, United Airlines invited Dean's firm to take part in a competition to see who could come up with the new pricing system. And they won. What was it like when you arrived there on day one? Well, it was probably initially, Craig, wasn't that well organized because it was all new. It was a totally new game. Remember, before the government deregulated the industry, it didn't matter which airline you booked with or whether you booked a day or a month in advance. The price was always the same. So Dean needed to find a better way for United to price the seats on their planes. We definitely did a lot of questioning and trying to understand how the business worked. One of the important dimensions of the pricing was, was the time dimension. And time really was the perfect variable to play with to help sell more seats. A family that wants to pay a cheaper fare will book their seats in advance to save a bit of money. United will fill part of the plane with these travelers, wait a few weeks, increase the price, wait another few weeks, increase the price again, and sell the expensive last-minute seats to business travelers who are willing to pay more. The business traveler gets his last-minute seat, United make profit, and the plane is full when it takes off. You know, airlines are still in the business of flying people around, but they can do it a lot more profitably if they price well. For Dean to help United price well, he needed to look into all the variables of a particular flight, the things that change and would allow the price to change too. Again, the key variables are the dynamic ones. What day of the week is it? What time of the day is it? Because that's where demand is varying against supply. So that's what you want to price against. 
And so they got to work fine-tuning these basic variables, like the time of year, whether it's Christmas or Valentine's, do more people want to fly on a Friday, and they priced accordingly. Later, all sorts of secondary and third dimensions got added, but that was the focus initially. This new system of pricing, basically another form of dynamic pricing, worked so well that all the other airlines started to get on board. 10 or 12 years later, everybody was doing it because that was the only way to get the best value out of your assets and survive. Fast forward to today and... There's a lot of businesses that, that have implemented dynamic pricing. I mean, Amazon, anything e-commerce related nowadays. I mean, you got ride-sharing, hotels, airlines, even your electricity. What you pay for electricity, the rate that you pay, is not the same as, you know, if you pull 10 other people um, in your same neighborhood. By the way, that's Andy. Andy when? Andy works in marketing and customer engagement for Sintra, who a few years back thought, could we use dynamic pricing to improve a trip on one of our roads? They decided to get a team together, which included Dean Boyd and this guy, John Brady. I lead the team that handles our traffic forecasting and pricing algorithms. And on his first day in the office, he started brainstorming ideas for this new pricing system straight away. I was working on the pricing algorithm before there was even a road to apply it to. The basic problem in Dallas, where Ferroville were now building a second highway, was that the existing general highway was full of traffic. And the team didn't want to just add four more lanes to the general road because extra capacity often just turns from four lanes of traffic into eight. Even though the new highway was going to be tolled, a traditional toll road wasn't going to cut it. They needed something that would add value to the driver experience because drivers would still have the option to use the free, non-paid lanes no matter what. The challenge for John and his team was to find a way to stop traffic building up on the new highway, while also coming up with a new system that would allow drivers to hit a minimum speed of 50 miles per hour on their road. They wanted drivers that used these lanes to have a faster, more reliable trip. Because it was essentially a supply and demand problem, the team fell back on a dynamic pricing model inspired by the airline industry. To make it work, they first needed data. It all starts with the, the measurement. For us, the only way to do that is to have an incredible amount of traffic sensors so that you can understand the, really the value, the customer experience from end to end on the highway. And the customer experience is all about going fast and not hitting traffic. Easy to say, but difficult to implement. If you're qualitatively promised that you'll be able to go fast on this lane and get to where you're going quickly, if you have to tap the brakes for a little bit in the middle, that's disappointing, right? Even if on average that trip is okay. The sensors that are taken in traffic measurements tell the team whether the highway is busy or not. If someone slows down between two sensors, the central team have an idea that the road is getting busy because the driver had to use their brakes. Drivers who are tapping the brakes that then starts to create congestion that can last for you know minutes or hours and remember this highway can't have congestion because its main value proposition is to move you quicker than the general road beside it so if things are slowing down the price of using the road goes up this in turn means less cars joining the managed lanes and the highway remaining at a minimum speed of 50 miles per hour and so dynamic pricing it is there to keep the product viable to keep it valuable um, otherwise, it becomes no better than the alternative, and the value proposition collapses on itself. And yes, that does mean that the price goes up from time to time. We've experienced in Dallas the, the reaction when this first started to happen. It took a few years 
for drivers to normalize and understand the value of the managed lanes. The value is there if the road isn't congested. That means that sometimes the price just can't be low because if it is low, the experience actually won't be there. That's the irony of it, right? If we if the price were lower, the the value wouldn't be there and we would all be sitting in traffic together. Sometimes you can sit in traffic, but sometimes you just can't. And that's what the managed lanes are there for, for the times that you just can't sit in traffic. You've dropped your kid off at school, but still have to make it to an important meeting on time. You've had to stay late at work, but you still want to make it home for dinner. The managed lanes give you flexibility and reliability. You do ask customers, generally, do you want to use the managed lanes? And they might say yes or no to some degree. But you give them a really concrete hypothetical, like the airport trip. And obviously that affinity rises, right? Because there's a demand for that reliability and you really just don't want the stress on that day. I think most importantly from the customer experience. That's Andy again. You realize that it's a choice. This is a decision. So you either choose uh, to hop on the express toll lanes or you can choose to remain on the general highway lanes, um, which which would be non-paid. By dynamically pricing their road, Sintra and Ferrovial have come up with a creative way to relieve congestion. And that means that people who need to move quickly, like a family going to the airport, can. Today we're in this hybrid world of dynamic pricing and price tags. And as technology improves, there's no doubt we'll see it crop up in more areas of the economy. But whether the price tag will disappear forever, we'll have to wait and see. Sounds Like Infrastructure is produced by myself, Craig Lawless, and Kevin Garcia-King. Craig was our editor for this episode, and we'd like to thank John and Andy from Sintra. And Dean Boyd, who has actually just retired. I retired as of this past January. Chatting to Dean, we realized he had a fantastic career, so congratulations, Dean. Ferrovial is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and if you like this episode, share it with a friend. You can also tweet us at Ferrovial if you have any infrastructure stories you want to share with us. This is Sounds Like Infrastructure. I'm Craig Lawless. And I'm Kevin Garcia-King.